Life, welcome this morning online. We love you and we welcome you. Thanks for joining us today. Did you guys know that God is in a good mood this morning? <laughs> you guys look like you're in a good mood. Are you in a good mood too? Oh, yeah. Yes, all right, good, because we are going to raise a hallelujah this morning. <laughs> and I just want you to know no matter what you came in with this morning, no matter what you're facing, God is for you. God is for me. He is for each of us here today. And I want you to know that doesn't matter what you're going through. He's here for you. And Jesus is here to meet with you this morning. So let's just go ahead and let's pray. And then let's just get into worship and give God the glory this morning. Oh, God, thank you so much for your love and that you are always for us no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing. We just appreciate you and your love and your grace and your mercy and your compassion. And Lord, we just want to give you the glory, the honor that you deserve this morning. So we want to praise you and give you what is due, give you what you are worthy of, and that is our praise. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Yeah. 
Sing a little louder. 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 In the presence of my enemies. Sing a little louder. Louder than the unbelief. Sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder. Heaven comes to fight for me. Sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemies. Sing a little louder. Louder than your belief. Sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder. Heaven comes to fight for me. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Please just have a seat for a second. I have a lengthy list. So, on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a service, Christmas Eve service, 6 p.m. Uh, that also means that we're not... 3 p.m., I'm sorry. I wrote that down wrong. Uh, 3 p.m., 3 p.m., Christmas Eve service on the 24th of December, the year of our Lord, 2022. Did we? <laughs> it's 24th. Uh, um, also, that means we're not going to have Sunday morning service on the 25th. So uh, just remember that. Don't stand out here in the cold. Uh, also, we'll only have nursery that day. So kids two and under. Uh, that's who we'll have service for. Otherwise, it's a big family service. Yeah. Um, also, we have a New Life members meeting on December 11th. That's after service next Sunday. 
So be there. Uh, and then today, after service, we have our New Life Basics meeting. So uh, come, check it out. Remember the jig. Uh, if you are serving, if you're thinking about serving, or if you're just curious about how we run, how we operate this body, then uh, come, check it out. It doesn't take long. Uh, you'll get to hear from Pastor Angelo, and there'll be plenty of laughs. Uh, and January 3rd, next year, we're starting a new session of Rooted. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Rooted is our core discipleship course, going over the rhythms of a Christ-led life. So uh, I will be at the info desk after service. You can ask me. There's a book. Uh, it's $20. It's a 10-week course. Many experiences uh, and daily uh, book work. So if you're into that, <laughs> come to the right place. But it is fun. It's not hard. It's not hard. All right. And most importantly, if you're not game for any of that, there's the new life really basic table gatherings where you're only required to sit with your family or friends and talk about Jesus a little bit. Yeah, and that's provided for you online. You go to our website, you click on uh, table gatherings, and it's just there for you. And it just guides a little bit of your conversation while you break some bread with your loved ones and you bring honor to Christ. And he'll be there if it's not just you. That's what the Bible says. Just kidding. All right. Um, and that's it for the messages. Too many. Okay. So there's a lot of things going on. And we are so very blessed to have so many hands that feed this body. So I just want to pray over your tithes and offerings right now. Lord, I thank you so much for every sinew of this body that keeps it strong, keeps it lively, keeps it, keep it, keeps it fresh. In your name, Jesus, that we are um, constantly working for your gospel. And Lord, we do that with the resources that you have blessed those of this body with that, kept, that keeps it fed, keeps the lights on, keeps the water coming in at a low pressure. So Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I ask for you, for your blessing on these families. Keep these hands strong, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, please rise. Back to work of worshiping God.
Do you believe that today? Kids, you're dismissed. You are dismissed. You may be seated, adults. If you're wondering why I'm speaking from here, it's because I've been preaching over here for like 10 years, focused in this direction, and people like to sit there because they think that I'm going to preach at them. But this crowd over here has gotten larger, and I think they're trying to get away from the preaching. So I decided I'm going to try. We don't know how long it'll last. It might be five minutes. We're going to try preaching to this crowd today. So you guys get to be a part of it. But you're going to have to come back over here to this side if you want face-to-face with me today. Well, I'll, I'll come over there sometimes. God is good, isn't he? We're still in the same series. I just scheduled it out. We're going to get out of this series April 18th. And you think I'm kidding. I'm serious. We're going to be in this thing till April 18th. (laughs) Hannah Arndt made a statement that has some truth to it, but she takes it from a humanistic standpoint. So I think she, she's saying something that's true, but it's more true about God. She said, promises are the uniquely human way of ordering the future, making it predictable and reliable to the extent that this is humanly possible. I'm going to read it one more time. Promises are the uniquely human way of ordering the future, making it predictable and reliable to the extent that this is humanly possible. When it comes to promises, especially when it comes to God, a promise is nothing more than his word. He says it, and he's going to do it. Every word that God speaks is a promise to you and to me. Every word. Everything he says is a promise. It's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. I'll, I'll give you the scripture. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man. So stop comparing him to man. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He does not lie. We make promises that we break all the time, do we not? How many of you broke a promise this week? You made a promise to your kids, going to make spaghetti for dinner. They got all excited, and you made SpaghettiOs. It was close, but it wasn't the same. He, has he ever spoken, whoops, I'm sorry. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever spoken? That's a deep thought. Because some of us would say that God has spoken and failed to act, but that's because you're basing things on your timing, not God's timing. You're wanting God to move on your schedule, not his schedule. And let's just get this settled right now. God is still greater than you and me. And he will act according to his word in his timing, not your timing. It's kind of like the children trying to run the home. (laughs) Has he ever promised and not carried it through? See, when God says something, he does something. 
When God says something, he does something. But there's a problem that we have with promises, and that is that you must trust them. And because we base most of our promise experience on humanistic or humans and, and their breaking of promises, that we think God does the same thing. And that just shows me that you haven't had much experience with God to know that God has never not kept his word. As far as history is concerned, God has always done what he said is gonna, was going to happen. If he promised it, it's going to be carried through. See, what we want is we want proof before the promise becomes the truth. And this is more this generation than any generation. And I'm not talking about millennials or any of them. I'm talking about this season in time where we trust what we see more than we trust what God says. And if we don't see what we think we should see, then we say that God's not keeping his word. And that's not true. God's not like us. He can't lie. He's never spoken and failed to act. He's never promised and not carried it through. And if you're honest with your relationship with God, if you've been following God for a while, you know that to be true about God. But we want to see proof before the promise becomes truth. And see, that's not how God does things. God says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to go through a lot of verses today, so I should probably pray. <laughs> Father, I want to give them what they need today to rely on your promises, not just for the moment, but for a lifetime. That they can look forward to their future because you've already made some promises about their future that you're going to keep because you've promised to do so. I want them to look at their future with hope and with joy, knowing that what you've promised is going to come to pass. Even if we go through difficult times, Father, we need to be able to rely on the promises that you've already put out there. You've already shown us in numerous ways in our lives that you keep your word. Help us to continually trust you. Help me with my teaching today. I feel like preaching, but I think this needs to be taught. So anoint me today just with the ability to teach in a way that they can comprehend so they can live this out in their life. We love you in Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I got lost wandering around with my eyes closed. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things, say it with me, we cannot see. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we cannot see. That's what faith is. And we claim to be a people of faith. And yet we don't trust the promises. Because we don't see them fulfilled in the way that we think they should. Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. Amen. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Sincerely seek him. Sorry, that was NLT and... 
King James all mixed up. He is a God that rewards those who sincerely seek him. That's a promise. Is that how you live your everyday life, knowing that God is going to reward me for trusting what his word says? That God's going to bless me because I'm trusting exactly what he's telling me? And I'm going to trust it with my life? See, faith in a promise can only come from an experience with the promiser. And that's what scares me a little bit. Is that we say that we have faith, but we don't trust the promises and we don't live by the promises. And we say we believe, but we don't have that much experience with the promiser. Like, you know how to trust your, your spouse because, like, I've got 38 years invested in my marriage. I can trust my wife with everything. Why? Because over that 38 years, she has proven that she's always kept her word. And when she hasn't, she hasn't told me. <laughs> in all honesty, how has your experience with God been? Has he not kept his word every time see promises if I can take Hannah Arndt's statement and use it for our good promises are God's way of ordering a future the book of Revelation is all about ordering the future we know what's going to happen in the future because God's made some promises that there's going to be some things that are going to happen there's going to be some good things that are going to happen there's going to be some really scary things that are going to happen but to those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, I'm not worried about any of those things for myself. Promises are God's way of ordering a future, making it predictable and reliable. I know when I read the book of Revelation, I know exactly what's going to happen because God said it was going to happen. Well, it hasn't happened yet. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Now remember, this is God's timing, not my timing. But could you imagine living life in the promises of God. Knowing that what God says about your future is true and it's going to happen. I know if I die because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, I will not be separated from God for eternity. I'll be sitting with God. Because that's what's been promised. People say it all the time. Aren't you afraid of when I ride my Harley? Aren't you afraid of dying? No. I'm afraid of not dying and just being all busted up. Because <laughs> I've been promised salvation through Jesus Christ. Somebody said to me the other day, they were talking about the economy. Aren't you worried about the economy? No, I trust God with my finances. I don't worry about what's happening with the rest of the world. When God's my provider... And he's promised to, to give me maybe not exactly what I want, but what I need. So it might be manna in the desert instead of, I can't even think, I'm, I'm eating weird foods now, so <laughs> it's all, what, what am I eating? I'm eating um, lots of vegetables and things like that. It's just no fun at all. No joy. So I can't even think of ice, I can't do ice cream, I can't do anything. So I'm eating manna, that's what I'm eating. I had a potato soup that tasted like potatoes. I know potato soup should taste like potatoes, but that's all I had then. It was all God provided for me, or it was actually all my wife provided for me. 
but I'm not dead. I look like I'm losing weight. Yes, I am, but that's for other reasons. God told Israel in Exodus that if they worshipped him and him alone, he gave them a promise. They would live this wonderful life. Jesus said, I might, I've come that they might have life, and they might have it what? More abundantly. Are you living that more abundant life in your Christian life? See, he's promised it. But I wonder if you're actually looking at your life and saying, this is really a better life than what it could have been. You know, some of you without Christ may be in a whole different place than you are because of Christ. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, he tells Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Anytime the scripture uses the picture of the Egyptians, it's talking about sin and how God separated us from that sin. That's how he freed the children of Israel from, from Egypt. And he says, you know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you'll be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. God said, I've freed you from the bondage of your sin. I brought you into a better life. I brought you into a newer life. And you're special to me. You're important to me. And this is written to, in context, it's written to the Jewish people. But Paul, I think it was Paul, wrote in Romans that there's no difference between the Jew or the Greek. There's no difference between the Jew and us. We're the same in Christ. We get the same benefits that God gave the children of Israel to the children of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? So that means he's promised us to be free from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. And if we obey and keep his covenant, we'll be a special treasure, be a special people on the earth. Being a Christian is a special thing. The creator God saved us from our sins and brought us to him. To have relationship with him again that was broken in the, in the um, Garden of Eden. If you look at Exodus 34 verse 10... We're going to look at a lot of verses today. I am so excited. The Lord replied, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. God is a miracle working God. Three of us believe that. God is a miracle working God. That's, this is going to be really harsh because next week we're talking about miracles. Maybe not the miracles that you think, but we're going to be talking about God's miracles. I'll perform miracles that I've never performed anywhere in, in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power that I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything that I command you this day. Then I will go ahead of you and I will drive out all of your enemies. Let's just use those names as enemies. Be very careful to never make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down the pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asheroth poles. And now if you read Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, you will see that's exactly what happened with Gideon. Gideon had to tear down the false gods. We're going to talk about false gods, I think, in January. So that's a sermon for another day. I got lots of sermons for another day. God kept his promise and he brought them into this land 
that they didn't work for and they didn't have to struggle with. And he brought them into this place where they just had to take the land, trusting his promises, and, de- and God defeated their enemies. I wonder how many enemies you fight on your own because you're not letting God defeat them for you. And please don't look at your spouse when I say that. It's not good for marriage, nor does it want make people want to come back to church. God keeps his promises and has kept his promise to Israel, but Israel broke theirs. Uh, Judges 6.1, we'll get back into Judges now. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. What was the evil that they did? Verse 10 says, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of, your, of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. They worshiped false gods. God said, I'm the one true God. Trust me. Trust my promises. Trust the life that I'm offering you. And they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't trust him. Israel broke their promise to trust God's promise and were suffering for it. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how sometimes the innocent suffer with the guilty. And when you as an adult in, in maybe a, a father or a mother don't trust the promises of God, you are bringing suffering into your children's lives because you're not trusting what God says. Amen. That was fun. That was real positive, Pastor. Thank you. Aren't you glad I'm preaching to this side today? See, on the day before another day, which I don't think most of you get this whole series title on the day before another day. There's some preparation that we must do before we get to a day of victory. Before you actually get a victory that you don't claim for yourself, that you don't give to God. There's some things that you've got to repent of. There's some things that you've got to recognize. There's some things you've got to remove or replace in your life. Before you get that victory, because if God gave you the victory that you're seeking in your life right now, you would say, look at all the good things that I have done. Look at the power that I have. We need to realize that all comes from God. And the promises are one of those things that we need to get settled in our life. In our passage, there are several promises that God gave to Gideon. Judges chapter 6 verse 10. Here's what God said. I told you. You ever say that to your kids? I told you. How many of them listened? I told you. I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. What's the promise? I am the Lord your God. I'm your God. God is saying, I want to be your God. God is saying, I am the God of uh, of your salvation. I am your God. I want to be your God. I want to lead you and comfort you and defeat your enemies. I want to guide you and guard you. I want to be your God. And I will be if you make me your Lord. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That's a promise. The Lord is with you. How different would your day be if you knew that the Lord was with you? If you just really believed that promise that the Lord is with you. Verse 14, 10, 12, 14. The Lord turned to him again and said, go in the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. God's telling Gideon, I'm sending you. You're not making this choice on your own. This is something that I'm setting you off for. I'm the one sending you. Meaning that if God's sending you out on something, it's going to be victorious. Because God's not a loser. 
Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites. As if you were fighting against one and you will win. How many of you just love to believe the promise that you're going to win? Like there's enough in the world going on in the world. Like it seems like you just can't get ahead. You just can't win. And God makes his promises, promise that you're going to win. Verse 23, Judges 6, 23. It's all right. That's a promise I should have thrown in there, but I, I, I didn't until now. It's all right. The promise that if God is your God, it's all right. Whatever you're going through, it's all right. Whatever you're experiencing, it's all right. If God is your God, if God is who the Bible says he is, and we know that he is who the Bible says he is, it's all right. But what about what's going on? If God's your God, it's going to be all right. The Lord replied, do not be afraid. You will not die. That's what a dad tells his child when he takes training wheels off the bike. (laughs) You will not die. You will not die. How much more risk would you take in your life if you knew that God's promised you that you're not going to die? If you knew that, that survival may not be physical, but it will be spiritual. Now, I'm not saying go do some crazy things because that's dumb. I'm saying if God's leading you, you will not die. I think of Peter walking on the water, how Jesus called Peter out of the boat to go walk on water. And Peter, when he began to doubt and he began to sink, even when he began to doubt and he began to sink, Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand and picked him up. You're not going to die. Please, if you're a fisherman, do not try this at home. (laughs) I'm not saying, no, I am saying that. Don't do that. But Peter was stepping out in faith, and, and he, Jesus said, you're not going to die. I'll lift you up. Judges 7, 7, the Lord told Gideon, with 300 men, I'll rescue you and give you victory. With very little, I'll get you victory over an enemy that's very large. Judges 7, 9, and I'm going to stop with that one. The, the night... That night the Lord said, get up, get thee down to the Midianite camp, which is a sermon for another day, and it's really a good one. I'm really excited about it. For I have given you victory over them. Could you imagine how different life would be if you lived with the idea that God's promised you victory in your life? I'll give you victory over them. The enemy that is, you're facing, the enemy that you're struggling with, the enemy that you're fighting right now, I will give you victory over them. I am your God. I am with you. I'm sending you on my behalf. I will be with you. You will win. You will not die. With a little, you will win. A predetermined victory and placed it in your hand. That's exactly what God was promising Gideon. All these promises in, in a little over one chapter, eight promises from God that could change your life. How would your day go if you trusted these promises of God? I am your God. I am with you. I am sending you on my behalf. I will be with you. You will win. You will not die. With a little, you will win. A predetermined victory and placed it in your hand. How different would your life be? Why isn't it that? Might be because we don't trust the promises. 
How different would your trials and tragedies be if you trusted the promises of God? What, would your, what, what enemies would fall at your feet if you just trusted the promises of God? What would your outlook on your new year be if you only trusted in God's promises? If you just trusted that every word of God is true and you based this next year on how you obeyed the promises, trusted the promises in your life. But I also want to add, how many times have you surrendered to the enemy and given up your victory because you didn't trust the promises of God? God gave you a promise that he would keep. And he says, I'm going to do this for you and I'm going to do this with you. And this is going to be awesome. And you gave in to the enemy. Because the enemy is what you could see. The victory is what God said. In the whole of the Bible, there's an estimate between 3,000 and 30,000 promises. So I didn't study that this week to find out which one's real. But I know in the New Testament, there's about 750 promises. Of those 750 promises, there's about 250 that are not repeated. So there's several promises in the New Testament that are repeated. They're similar in nature. And so I thought I'm just going to read a few promises from the New Testament to kind of bring us from old into new. I did not have any particular order to these promises, so don't think I'm trying to create something out of it. I'm just reading what the Bible says, and they're promises from God, and you've got to ask yourself, do I believe this or not? Hebrews 1.14 says, Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. This is a province of angelic protection. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's promised that there's angels that will take care of you and watch over you. Do you believe that? Do you live your life with a sense that I am not alone, that God has sent me? Not only do I have the spirit of God indwelling me, I have angels from God protecting me. Helping me, encouraging me, giving me confidence. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse four. He comforts us in all our troubles. Not he will comfort us. It says he comforts us. He does. This is a truth that's being written by Paul. He comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When, we are when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Meaning that Paul knew of this comfort. The more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. If you're not getting much comfort in Christ, it's probably because you're not suffering for Christ. Amen. If you're not experiencing the promise of God of comfort, it's because you're not willing to give your life and put it in a position to where you'll need to be comforted. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, you ever been there? It is for your comfort and your salvation, for we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us, meaning that this idea is that God will comfort us when we're afflicted. It's a promise. It is a promise. When you go through affliction, difficulty, trials, tribulation, God is there to comfort you. In fact, his spirit that indwells us is known as the comforter. Yes. Yeah. 
And he's constantly speaking into us to say, it's okay, you're okay, we've got this, we're going to win, calm down, settle down, trust me, rely upon me, stop getting so worked up, stop getting so stressed out. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, he comforts us. Why? So that you can take that comfort that you received from Christ and share that comfort with somebody who doesn't know Christ. But you don't share that comfort with somebody that doesn't know Christ because you're not experiencing the promise of comfort yourself or you're not recognizing it. One of my favorite promises in the Bible because of the great sins that I've committed in my life. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How many of you dwell in the sins of your past? Like you, you've been forgiven by God. You know Jesus Christ paid for your sins. You know they've been forgiven. And yet you still dwell on what a horrible person that you were. The things that you did. How bad it is. Listen, if it's been forgiven, it, you can stop stressing over it. But you don't believe the promise. That's why you keep dwelling on how bad of a person you are. Now, if you're still dwelling on how bad, bad, bad of a person you are, maybe it's because you're not forgiven. If you're not forgiven, if you don't trust the promise of forgiveness, then you either haven't confessed your sins because he's going to be faithful to forgive you of your sins. And because you haven't confessed your sins, you're not cleansed from all your wickedness. You're still living without Christ. But if you're living with Christ, your sins are forgiven. Why do you identify? Why do you identify with what you've done wrong instead of what he did right because of your wrong? We're promised the forgiveness of sins if we confess our sins to him. Do we dwell in that forgiveness? 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. His ears are open to their prayers. His ears are open to their prayers. Why will God not answer my prayer? It might be that you're not doing right. Because the promise has a, has a relational part of it. His ears are open to their prayers. God promises to hear your prayers. There's a passage of scripture. I want to say it's in James, but I know that's not right. That says that husbands, if you love your wives right, God will hear your prayers. If you love your wives wrong, God won't hear your prayers. There's a connection to us loving our spouse correctly and God hearing our prayers. Because if you're going to be abusive to your wife, and then you're going to expect God to move on your behalf, it's not going to work. That's not how God does it. James 5, 14. Are any of you sick? Are any of you sick? It's just, it's, it's an open question. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with, a, with the oil, I'm sorry, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. If you've, and if you've committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Do you believe that God physically heals? Yes. By the prayers of godly men and women. 
Okay, well, I didn't get the same response out of that one. I don't know where to go. I'm kind of confused. Why then do we dwell in sickness? I'm not saying why we're not all healthy because there's some sickness that God puts in place to humble us. I, I think the Apostle Paul talked about his illness was, was so that he would not be filled with pride. But I think there's a lot of sickness that we just live with because we don't believe the promise of healing. I'm not saying trust in the healer. I'm saying trust in the healer being God. But God has a way for us to be healed and he sets it out there. The question is, do we believe his promise? Here's another one of my favorites. Luke 6, 38. Give. That's your part. And you'll receive. Give and you'll receive. Remember, there's a relational aspect to this idea of promises. You have to experience life with the promiser, but to do so, you've got to trust and show that you have faith in the promiser. Give, and you will receive. Not you might receive, not you could receive. I, am, I, am I missing something today? No. <laughs> Give, and you will receive. Give. If you do this, God says, I'm going to do that. God says, if you do this, I'm going to do that. If you do this, I'm going to do that. Your gift will return to you in full, and then he'll press it down, and he'll shake it together to make more room for more. God says, you can't outgive me. You don't have enough to outgive me, because I'll squeeze it all together and I'll put more in there so that you can't say, look, I give more than God. <laughs> Pour it over into your lap. It's kind of what happened to the soup last night, but that was a whole other story. <laughs> the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Here's the promise. Given you will receive. But the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. 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 Don't expect to harvest where you don't plant. It's real deep. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. What you sow, you reap. What you give, you receive. God says, I want to fulfill these promises. I want to I give you more than you know what to do with. But it starts with you trusting what I'm saying. For this is how God loved the world. John 3.16 he gave his, only one and, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. 
There is now no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but everyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Romans 8.1 says it a little bit clearer, clearer for me. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I don't have to live with condemnation from God. Then why do I live with con- condemnation from myself? If my sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ, and God's not coming down to condemn me for them, but free me from them, why would I live in condemnation? Why would I live thinking so negatively about myself? Why would I live thinking that I'm this horrible person, I'm not worthy of salvation? Of course we're not worthy of the death of Jesus Christ. But he gave us that life anyway that we might be forgiven of our sins. He did it to satisfy God in a way that we could never satisfy God. Let me read another one. I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep flying through these. Romans 10.9. You say, I didn't come to the church to read the Bible. Well, then you, then you didn't come to church for the right reasons. Amen? <laughs> Romans 10.9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you do this, you will be saved. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that promise? Then why are you sharing it with the people around you who don't know that promise? That's the best one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why aren't more people saved? Because no one's sharing the gospel. Because we say we believe the promise for ourselves, but we don't believe the promise is worth sharing to others, with others. I'm skipping the next one, just not because it's bad, it's just because it's more. No, I can't skip the next one. Sorry about that. (laughs) Don't believe it. 2 Timothy 1.12. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of it, for I know whom I, I know the one whom, in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul suffered for the cause of Christ because he knew who he believed in and was persuaded that he was able, God was able to keep that which he has committed unto him against such that day. Sorry, King James flows better for me. Paul knew who he trusted. And he believed that no matter what he went through, no matter how hard it was or how harsh it was, that God was able to deliver him. Even if it meant delivering him into prison. 
Second Timothy 2.11 says, this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he can't deny who he is. John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So he's just defining who loves him. And because they love me, my father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to them, to each of them. Those who will accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. You want to know why you feel the love of God? Because you trust the love of God. Because you trust the promise. And I had no place. I just liked this verse, so I put it in there. Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. What's the promise? That Jesus died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. I I like the way that's written, bring us safely home to God. Do you believe that promise today? God made these promises to Gideon. But the power of the promise depends upon who God is to you. Is God really God? Or is God more like a man? Is God really God? Is he actually the God who created, the the God who spoke and the earth was formed? The God who spoke and animals and things were made The power of the promise depends on if God is with you or not. See, the promise means nothing to you if God's not with you. It's just a bunch of words that we're telling you that are true, and you're saying, well, I'm not sure if they're true or not. Well, of course they aren't aren't true to you because God's not with you. You haven't surrendered your life to him and said, I want to follow you. You haven't confessed your sin to him. He's faithful just to forgive you, but you haven't confessed. You haven't said, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. The power of God's promise depends on if God's leading you. That's what he told Gideon. I'm going to lead you. You're you're following. I I put you in this position. You're in church today not because you chose to get up this morning and come to church. You're in church today because the Spirit of God led you to come to church. Whether he's in you or outside of you, you were motivated by his movement to hear what he's saying to you today about his promises. The power of the promise depends on the confidence you have in his presence. See, if you think God's far from you, you're not going to trust the promises. If you think he's distant, you're, not, you're going to doubt him. If God's with you, you have no reason to doubt because you can, you can know that he's going to keep his word. But if you're distant from him, the power of the promise depends on your belief of survival. You're not going to die. Greatest promise is 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I believe that. You say, well, you can't see that. Well, I know I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I will be, but I'd rather live my life in confidence that my Savior is going to pay for my sins. And when I die and go into the grave, my soul will go to be with God. Not because of any work that I have done, because of the work that Jesus Christ did for me. I know I'm not going to die. I know I'm not, I, physically, yes, this body's breaking down. And the older I get, the more it's breaking down. The faster it's breaking down. The more parts are breaking down. I'm like that old car that's sitting in your yard. Okay, it's sitting in my yard. The power of the promise depends on how much you need versus how much God needs. He says, I'm going to give you victory with 300 men. He says, no, 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 I need over 30,000. I need more than 30,000. I need hundreds of thousands of men to fight this enemy. God says, you don't need much to win. The power of the promise depends on whether you believe God can do a lot with a little. Because some of you aren't much. But with God, you can do great and mighty things. Things that you would not even imagine him doing. And the power of the promise depends on whether you believe his word or not. If you don't believe his word, his promise means nothing. How would faith in his promise change your perspective on your future? Wouldn't it make your future more predictable? If I know what God says, and I just put my faith in what God says, not what I see. What God says would come true, because God's word comes true. Wouldn't trusting what God says make your future more reliable? He tells us, don't worry about tomorrow, I've got tomorrow taken care of. Don't worry about tomorrow, I've got a, I've got a handle. But how many of you worry about tomorrow? Because you don't trust that promise in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 something. I'm spitballing there. It's in there. Might be, no, it's not 7, it's 6. Humans break promises all the time, but the promises of God are literally truth being spoken that's going to come to pass. I can bank my future on the fact that what God says is true, it's going to come true because it already is true. The question is, will I live my life according to that truth or my truth? Second Samuel 7.28 says, For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servant. God has promised such good things to us. Psalm 146, 5 and 6. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is the Lord in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth and sea and everything in it. He keeps every promise forever. Do you believe that? He keeps every promise forever. He keeps every promise forever. Hebrews 6.18, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. 
Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence if we hold on to the hope that lies before us. That should describe everybody's life who claims Jesus Christ to be their savior. We come into trouble, we flee to him for refuge, and we have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us, the future. Do you trust the promises of God? There's no way that I can make you do that. I will tell you, Gideon did two things. Gideon did two things to verify his trust in the promises. The first thing he did, and we've talked about this before, he made a sacrifice to the promise. It was a free will offering. It was an offering of great wealth in a time of great poverty. Come on up. Time of great wealth and it was a value of great wealth in time of great poverty. It was a considerable gift. He gave his life. See, if you're going to trust in the promises of God, you're going to have to be willing to give your life according to the promise. You're going to have to trust the promise so much that you would give your life for it. Literally, not trust what you see, but trust what God says. The second thing he did was he was submissive to the promise. He did what he was told. Whatever God said in his word, he just obeyed it. Because he trusted what God said was true. He surrendered his life to it, to the promise, and he obeyed the promise. What promise is God asking you to trust him with that you're struggling with? Because you can't see it. First Peter chapter 3, if your husband's not obeying the word of God, the scripture teaches that they can be won by the conversation of the wife. Conversation being lifestyle and what she says. How many of you believe that? That God can change your husband instead of you trying to change your husband? You can say the same thing about men and women if your wives aren't obeying the word of God. How many of you men try to make your wife obey you by saying, I am the man? And I've said this a billion times. Every time a man says, I am the man, and the wife doesn't already know that, there's bigger problems going on in your marriage. <laughs> if you have to define what you are, you're not being what you should be. Because you don't believe the promise. See, a promise without faith has no future. And a person who doesn't believe in the promise, you have no future. Your future is going to be whatever comes at you and you're going to handle it as it comes at you. How's that been working out for you, by the way? Instead of living life saying, I trust what God says. I believe what God says. I'm going to live according to what God says. Because God's made a promise to me. And I'm going to sit around and wait until it comes true. Promises are God's way of ordering a future and make it predictable and reliable. That's the kind of life we should be living in Christ. Are you? Are you? 
Let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. And let's stand and pray. Father, we love you. And uh, your Bible is full of promises that if we just believed what you said, we would live with such more, such a greater confidence in self in our future. We'd be more positive with hope. We'd be happier people if we just trusted what you've already promised would happen if we put our faith in you. So maybe the problem today, Father, is that we're not putting our faith in you. Maybe the problem is we're trusting more in what we see than what you say. Help us today to trust your promises. Help us today to believe what you say and live according to those things. In Jesus' name we pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're struggling with the promises today, I want you to just take a moment and claim that with God. Tell him, I'm struggling with, with your word. I'm struggling with believing what you're saying. God, reveal to me the truth. Show me areas in my life when I may not be trusting what you say. Where I might be allowing stress to become a greater enemy than someone you're trying to give me something you're trying to give me victory over. Tell him, I want to trust your word. And I'm going to surrender my life to trusting what you say, whether I see it or not. Because you've said it, and that settles it for me. Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one song we it's it's the new song we just sang earlier we want to sing it one more time so sing it out as loud as you can even if you don't get it yet this is cool.
Heavenly Father, we love you, and we just pray that you are, reveal yourself to us today through your promises. Give us peace and comfort, Lord God, knowing that you're going to keep your word, and we can live our lives according to it. We love you so. In Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great afternoon, guys. Please don't freeze. <laughs>